On this week's show, we're joined by Graham Byrne. Graham is a strength and conditioning coach who's worked in a variety of sports, most notably with the highly successful Dundalk soccer team, and more recently with the Wexford senior hurling team. On the show, Graham talks about the importance on building on the fundamentals from an early age, and we have a great discussion on how to adapt as a coach to the needs of the team, while also being able to help the players individually. Lots of great content for any aspiring SNC coaches out there, but also for any coaches, particularly those who work with a youth team. As always, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy. Okay, uh, delighted to welcome Graham Bourne to the show. So Graham is currently a fitness manager in on Sport Ireland campus, but has years and years of experience in ver- a variety of different sports. Um, I suppose most prominently soccer and GAA. Uh, he was involved with a very successful Dundalk soccer team, and he's currently involved with the Wexford hurling team. Graham, absolute pleasure to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Um, I just just wanted to start off really, really uh, simply in terms of strength and conditioning. And there's a lot talked about the importance of it in whatever sport or, or uh, discipline people are in. But maybe you could talk about it in general terms, your simple principles or the stuff that you try and uh, address maybe straight away when you're involved with a team. Um, yeah, so first of all, thanks really for having me on, uh, Steve. It's, it's an absolute pleasure just to as well as have a plan just to discuss these things. Um, we all love to talk about things that we're passionate about, so um, I appreciate it. Um, in terms of strength and condition, I believe that uh, the big things what we try and do with talk about strength and the fundamentals of it. I think the fundamentals is probably what people are lacking these days in terms of how the strength and conditioning coach has become so, so important these days because lifestyle has changed over the last 10, 20, 30 years. So as that lifestyle uh, has changed, people are spending more time at the desk or in the car or sitting down on that computer and a more sedentary lifestyle. It's really, really put strength and condition at the forefront when it comes to performance, whether it's in uh, particularly actually in, in elite sport or sorry, in semi-elite sport or sub-elite sport or in youth sport um, because um, the, it's the people that are in school and in college and in cars and, and, are, and in the desk and potentially GA that will be full-time training. They're the people who really need to be working with, with good strength and condition coaches and being aware of the fundamental movements. So that's co- probably coincided with the growth um, of the increase in jobs in strength and conditioning and, and basically put strength and conditioning on the map. And yeah, that's a really good point. And you, you speak of those fundamentals. So give me as an example of, of a few of those fundamentals. So for example, for instance, there could be people listening here who are involved with uh, teams, adolescent age group or, or maybe even adult teams. And what are some of those fundamentals that uh, you like to you look for in a team to instill early, and how could they potentially look for for a coach on the ground? Yeah, so from my experience, like I started doing SNC, uh, I suppose in a professional environment in two thousand eight. I was twenty one, and it was a Bohemian um, League World uh, Champions at the time. Well, we became champions uh, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and runners up in two thousand ten. So a very successful team. There was Irish international players there. There was incredible amount of experience footballers in that dressing room and a lot of them had never been exposed to things like so I remember going in on day one and writing down a workout on the board and lads kind of you know some of the players they're unbelievable pros incredibly hard working at the time but a lot of them were like what is it what what's the split squat and what's the bent over row and and they just hadn't got the knowledge the foundations weren't there and the fundamental movements weren't there and that was a professional footballer so um I remember kind of 
being a little bit shocked with that just because of my own circle. I've, I've just been working in the gym for three or four years at that stage in DPU and been around some amazing strength and conditioning coaches and some amazing athletes like the Gerald O'Rourke and, and all these Dublin players and even the late Darren Sutherland was there training for the Olympics back in 2008. And I remember thinking to myself, like, obviously, I just assumed that soccer players had the same knowledge of the fundamental movements of, of S&C, of, of gym stuff, really. Um, gym program and they did and it was quite a shock to me so when I left Bohemians um, I then in 2010-2011 got involved with a friend of mine a company called Athletic Development because him and I both kind of agreed that unless you go back to the fundamentals to, to what these children are doing at 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 it doesn't matter you know how good they are they're always going to be held back further down the line they're going to need to know how to move so we kind of identified that maybe more beneficial than, than training the, the senior pros is going back and fix what's happening at the ABCs at the nurseries around the country, you know. Well, um, so you brought it right back from an elite level then into a, as grassroots as it gets. Um, so is was that a type of thing that you just try and um, work on basic movements or was it sport specific, uh, Graham, or are, are you talking generalizations here? Yeah, so at the time, at the time back then, 2010, 2011, we developed a curriculum, and the curriculum, um, we you know we were lucky. We went around a lot of clubs in Dublin over say 18 months that we ran the program. We went around a lot of G, a lot of games, up and doctors around the around the country, uh, welcomed us in, allowed us to deliver workshops for their for their coaches, their mentors, their parents, the club, just to understand the importance of the fundamental skills. So we had a curriculum there set up. We developed these books and we developed program cards and we asked every coach to do it as part of their training sessions. And that was ultimately just because um, we just found that the fundamental movements, again, if I was to make the point, I think if we went back in time, if you got somebody and asked them to, you know, you tested balance of a 10-year-old now versus one in 1990, one in 1980, one in 1970, and you kept going back, I think that our fundamental movement skills in terms of our ability to jump, catch, climb, balance, um, all of these abilities, uh, have they've gotten worse as every decade has passed as boy just through evolution or, sorry, or sedentary lifestyle. So we just tried to say the, the earlier we can teach these kids how to balance on one leg, the earlier we can teach them how to do a squat, the earlier we can teach them how to hold their body weight in a plank or a single leg toe touch. If they can stand on a single leg and touch their toe, like, then well, that's going to make things like single leg RDLs in the gym at 20 or deadlifts in the gym at 22 or whatever age it might be when they start doing those things. It's going to make them a lot easier if they have the fundamental, as well as the neurological pathways there, just the ability to, bend down and touch your toe and stand back up again. And also, obviously, the coordination um, and the, the muscular strength and flexibility there as well. Yeah, so it, obviously, you're, you're preaching to the converted here. It's obviously uh, closely aligned with my own sort of research, but um, you were probably a, a little bit ahead of your time. I think a lot of sports have sort of caught up now or are certainly putting a huge emphasis on fundamental movement skills at their nurseries now. Um do you, but your your whole focus would have been around developing the athlete rather than a sport specific type of a, a a skill base. Would that be right? Yeah, absolutely. And you can see that. Like you know, I was very very lucky when I was a kid to to watch Dermot Conley to hang around with him on, on street corners and and as teenagers, you look at Dermot Conley for example, and I'm not dropping an aim there. It's just to look at it. Probably an exceptional athlete who can play GAA, but a twirling of football or it's soccer. He's leaving me an incredible soccer player. Or you wanted somebody to be the first one over the wall or the first one up the tree. He was probably the guy that you wanted, you know. Um, and that just boils down to an, an incredible 
um, ability of athleticism at such a young age. So regardless, I, I think um, the size of the ball didn't matter, whether he was holding a hurl or he wasn't, didn't really matter, whether he was heading a ball or the fundamentals were there in terms of all the athletic attributes that he needed, speed, agility, change of direction, balance, strength, coordination. I believe he had them all. And if you develop them all, I think then sport becomes kind of easier to pick up and easier to excel. Yeah, well, um, again, this I, I could speak uh, for hours upon hours on this. I love this subject, but yeah, all the research would say that a, a, a broad base in, in a non-sport-specific skills and movements will, will set you up to be more physically active in life and, and a, equip you to be able to take on whatever sport you wish. Um, I want to touch on something you mentioned earlier. You went in at 21 to a Bowls team, a very successful Bowls team, and you had a variety of players there, uh, both young and old and seasoned. And some knew what they were doing and some didn't know what they were doing in terms of gym work. That must have been challenging at your age in terms of getting your message across and being taken seriously. Yeah, it was it was a it was a massive learning curve for me. And it was it was a great experience. Pat Fennan, who's probably up there most successful manager in the League of Ireland definitely at the time. Um and I was very, very lucky that he would give me such an opportunity and a great manager and a great place to be. And really learning what it's like as a boy going into the dressing room. And I played soccer my whole life, but it was completely different. The standards in a professional football dressing room, like season pros, the standards, they they separate themselves every day. How hard they worked every day um, was, was, was brilliant to see. But then at the same time, it was also a little bit scary that I could see a whole world of strength and addition that they may not have tapped into at the time. Um, and you get certain players are like 29, 30, 31, trying to prolong their career and wondering why there's a, there's a, there's a niggle in a hamstring they just can't get rid of or wondering why. And we had a brilliant physio at the time as well, Tony McCarthy, like did an incredible team. But I was just thinking if they'd have been doing this stuff when they were 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, that everybody's job would have been better by the time they became professional. From the strength and conditioning coach to the manager to the physio, I just think everybody's job would have been a lot easier. So you're in there at 21, you have all these season pros, and you're throwing all this strength and conditioning stuff at them. Some uh, would obviously think will, will put the shoulder to the wheel and go at it, and others maybe a little bit more reluctant. How do you break those barriers down? So a, a young S&C coach at the moment could be in a similar position with a team. What's your advice? How, Great question. You I suppose, like, you know, the the culture in soccer is probably um, a little bit behind other sports when it comes to strength and conditioning. I hope I don't insult anybody by saying that. But when you look at the, the physical, uh, how important it is to be physically strong and robust in, let's say, rugby. Rugby tends to lead the way, just in my field. Um, and then it kind of comes into GA then, and then soccer tends to follow suit, especially in Ireland. Like the problem with, with soccer in Ireland is simply that, you know, there's, there's, there's players that have to get paid, and there's an awful lot of people who need to get paid, and they're not clo- as closely aligned with universities as potentially Dublin GA would be, or as athletes to do Olympic sports would be. Um, you know, so you can, there's, a, there's, a, there's not that strong link between the education from like, sports science students and sports science facilities that you might have and obviously people going in and getting the education that you might have in uh, in GAA or in the the Olympic sports so soccer was kind of out there on its own so there was almost through no fault of their own a little bit of ignorance towards strength and conditioning and um, we often got, not often but a few times was told well 
all right, I can do as many push-ups as I want, but will this help me put the ball in the back of the net? You know, that was kind of a common one thrown at you. And they're going, oh, yeah, you can balance on your leg, great, but have you, have you got international caps? And I used to laugh and say, no, I haven't. But, um, you know, and there was there was a lot of people out there kind of like that, but then there was an incredible bunch of players who are, who are crazy with the information, and the big thing was that a lot of them, the kind of big thing, and what really, something that really took with me from my time there was, Players who started to really apply the strength and conditioning stuff and started to train um, and incorporate the gym and the, the core activation and the mobility and stability, incorporate that into their training regime. The vast majority of players all said to me, geez, I, I wish I'd started this when I was younger. That was, the, that was the main reason why myself and my friend Eddie decided to go in and, and kind of work on this athletic development uh, piece um, after my time in Bohemia because... It was all about that. Big saying coming out of it was, well, I wish I'd have started this at a younger age. God knows how good I could have been, how fast I could have been, how many training sessions I could have, how many extra training sessions I could have done because I kept picking up niggles. Um, and these are kind of the, the common things coming out of that time. Of yeah, I think that's um, reflected in, in, in Roy Kane's book. I think he talked about that as well. As in, he, he It took him maybe five or six years until he as he calls it, copped on at United maybe until he started looking after himself and uh, maybe not drinking as much and eating right and, and looking after that mobility and stuff like that. Um, but that he, he definitely attributes yeah. a lot of that to his longevity. Um, so you talked about, you've mentioned already a few different sports. So uh, um, you talk about uh, the athletic development stuff, which is non-sport specific, which is fantastic. But then you also talked about working with GAA teams and soccer teams. Could you maybe touch on some of the the similarities and the differences between the sports? So, in terms of the demands and and how you cater for that, or how you adopt your tra- adapt sorry your training. Based yeah, on so those obviously everyone looks to that. People ask you about the uh, the demands of the sport now. Uh, obviously, the first thing they they think of nowadays is the GPS. So, um, people will say, "Well, what's the difference between GA and soccer and GPS?" And it turns out that there's the the distance that like I worked at Loud senior football team for the last year or two. And at the same time, I had I was working with Dundalk, and I, and I used to take. We were very lucky there, where we used to take a stat sports sponsored both Dundalk and uh, Loud GA. So I was in a really really unique position where I was able to go to Dundalk train on Tuesday morning, and then go to Loud train on a Tuesday night, and on a Wednesday morning sit there and look at the look at the demands of each training session. And it was all live data at the time from 2017 and 18 onwards. And same goes for game day. I was able to look, break down each position um, and look at what was happening in a, in, a, in a Dundalk game on a Friday night and then potentially a loud game on a Saturday. And I just sit there for hours on a Sunday just looking at what was happening. And it turns out that they're very, very similar um, in terms of the total distance that they cover. Um, because obviously a GAA pitch can be maybe 40 metres bigger, but their sport a GA match goes on for 20 minutes less. So it turns out that our very, they, end up at, they end up with very, very similar figures on total distance covered, very similar distances on high-speed meters covered. Um, and then I suppose it ultimately just boils down to getting into, into the bones of it then. Even with, with Wexford now, we see, I see very, very similar figures. It only boils down to then when you look at what the coaches want. So some with soccer... You know, some might want their fullback to to cover an awful lot of distance, or you might play with wing backs, or if it's GAA, you might play a defensive system 
where you find that you might move uh, as far as other teams, but generally they end up very, very similar uh, across both GAA soccer and hurling, um, to be honest with That's mental. I, I, uh, well, m- myself included, uh, I would have said that uh, certainly G- Gaelic football and soccer to be different demands and different distances, etc. And I also then would have said that even between Gaelic football and hurling, there would have been a difference. But you're saying they're relatively similar. Um, would that go right down? To, is that a, a an average type of thing, Graham, or is that pers- position dependent? Or obviously, goalkeepers and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, what like, I'm, you know what um, I'm trying to get at? I yeah. So brilliant. So I did my thesis on this. I, I, I suppose I've been through UCD like like yourself um, for my masters, and, and I did my thesis, and I I basically took the the data came from the dark matches, and I looked at. Uh, the demands and basically what we did over an average of, of number of games. Um, so what you would find is that obviously the positions we would know, we would know in soccer, for instance, that you would expect the centre halves to be between eight and nine k each game, where you might expect the fullbacks to be between uh, ten and twelve k each game. Uh, that would be common, kind of. We would set parameters on that, and if anything can't fell outside those parameters, you'd be a little bit like, hmm, okay, there's a bit of a flag. Let's investigate it. Midfield be similar, ten to twelve k game, um, and like you could pretty much do this though in your head. And this is one thing I say to a lot of amateur coaches out there, people who can't afford the system. I'm going. It never really told me anything that if I didn't sit down with a pen and a piece of paper for an hour, that I didn't really know. Um, obviously the centre backs cover a little bit less than the full backs, but um, and obviously the midfielders probably cover more or similar enough distance to the full backs, but they do less of that. Will be will be sprinting. Whereas a fullback, there's a lot of sprinting in soccer. Wingers a lot of sprinting, and a midfielder tends to be going around more aerobically um, for the duration. Even though they end up being pretty much a similar uh, similar total distance, they might they'll more often than not be doing less high speed meters. So that's pretty much soccer. And if you take those rules into GA or to hurling, hurling or football, and um, we would find the same thing. Obviously, and um, depending on what way you do tactics, I you know I've been. In I played with different managers and or I coached with you know different managers and two different managers in Loud and obviously now in Wexford have got a different manager and I suppose a different sport but they tend to be very similar if you think about it logically you think okay we're going to move you know whether you play attacking whether your wing backs are attacking they're going to do an awful lot of high speed meters and um, whereas the midfielder might cover the same amount of distance but it might be less it might be high speed because he's not going from one end of the pitch to the other you know. Like if you think about it logically, um, you could probably get there thereabouts what the GPS is going to tell you at the end of the day. Okay, that's fascinating. Now I never would have thought that they were so similar. Um, so that's in terms of their GPS and and their I suppose their the distance covered and the high speed running. That there's a similarity. Um, is there other similarities maybe across the strength side of it or differences that you've noticed from working at the high end with boats? Yeah, I think boats? like it's only natural that we, you know, our bodies evolve to whatever we ask them to do. Like if I'm going to sit down for 10 hours a day, my body will eventually start to change my posture to the most efficient way or most comfortable way that I'm going to sit down, right? It might be the best for me. And pretty much if you're playing soccer, think about that. If I'm playing soccer, a lot of it is going to be one and you haven't really got the benefits of your upper body or of a shoulder. You can't go around throwing shoulders in, in soccer. You haven't got a hurl in your hand like you have a hurling to, to buy yourself an extra yard or to get away from somebody with, 
or an extension of your, you know, your lever and which you're going to, to strike the ball. If you haven't got that zone, soccer, you're really down to pointing yards through having superior speed and agility and the superior ability to change direction. So I think if you look at the, the rate in which a soccer player can change direction and their footwork, and quite simply, if you go out and watch any under-14 match now, I watch my, my nieces and nephews play, and I go out and I can watch, and I can tell the soccer players within four or five minutes, I don't know if you can, but I can tell them just through their footwork, even at that age. And um, you see, wow, the drop of the shoulder, his footwork in and out, his speed and agility. You know, Martin, no, this, isn't, this is my opinion. This isn't the sweeping generalizations here. But I think soccer players uh, definitely show uh, that speed and agility is a much more prominent part of their game. So it's a skill that they're probably better developed at. Um, whereas... So, yeah. so was, sorry, Graham, to cut across. So is that then, is that something that you then focus on let's say with your soccer athletes that you would focus on developing that as best you possibly can uh pr maybe a little bit more prominently than you would do it in let's well, say a GA setting. good question but probably the opposite then i probably think i then would well i'll give you an example so if i if i know how how important that is in soccer and i know that there's no hurdle to protect myself i i haven't got my hands to help me out i'm literally just depending on getting by this player by using my my footwork essentially and i'm always reacting to somebody and there's a lot of it is one v one you know fullbacks being taken on by wingers and a lot of it if you get by it it's a goal so um really really important positions where you need to be so good one v one and you've only got your two feet to, to to help you there so speed and agility ends up being really really important in soccer for attackers and defenders but then taken into gaa because it's not so important i can i can use my hands to tackle i can give a shoulder i can I can do all these other, there's all these other considerations that maybe I don't, it's not part of the training plan to do loads of speed and agility work. Like, and I actually found that going into GEA, I thought to myself, like, there's a lot of work in GEA on speed and agility. It doesn't tend to come up as the, as the go-to session from just what I see, just, you know, friends and, and other sports, even when I was in soccer, going, geez, like, I hear a lot of this GAA where they're doing mass runs, they're doing their 1Ks, they're doing, they're, they're in the gym four or five times a week, and they're, oh, they're doing all this kind of fitness stuff. When I was going, on, tell me what speed and jelly work to do, and I just got, usually nothing, is you, was just what, in what I heard, you know what I mean? So, I think sometimes it kind of falls down the pecking order in terms of what, they do in, uh, in GA circles. But at the same time, Stephen, though, at the same time, the exact same point is relevant when it comes to soccer, what I said previously. That was why at Bohemians or at other soccer clubs, they weren't bench pressing and shoulder pressing and chin ups and doing squats and deadlifts because they thought, well, I'm not allowed going to collisions. I don't need to be super, super strong in my upper body. So it's going to fall down the pecking order after fitness, endurance, speed, and agility. You know, that kind of fell. And the same thing happens with GAA, I think, in the opposite way. Yeah, so so basically uh, what you're saying is that when you're getting involved with a team, you're going to try and adapt your program or your session to meet the needs of the team and the, the what the manager well, actually Yeah, wants. exactly. Ultimately, you need to look at what the, what the manager's asking. If the manager wants a team who's got incredible endurance and or you want a team who's really, really explosive and you want a team, like, ultimately it's all about the manager and, like, I'm just a cog in a wheel and that wheel is designed by the manager and exactly what he wants. Um, so if he says, right, okay, lads, this is the kind of team I want 
play with. This is the tactics I want to play. And then make your training relevant to him. Like if he's going to play really defensive football where he doesn't want people covering mad amounts of distance in GA circles and he's saying, oh, I only want them to cover eight, nine K matching. You see it sometimes with, in, in soccer, I'm a big fan of Man United and people talk about Mourinho's team is not running anywhere, you know, and Man United run the second least in the Premier League and all these kind of statistics. But like Mourinho, that's the way he wants his team set up. So he hasn't valued the ability to do an awful lot of sprints or the, the, he doesn't value that because tactically that's not part of how he wants to achieve success. So for me, I asked the manager what his tactics are. If he thinks that based on those tactics, speed and agility, um, are important our endurance and ultimately try and cover each one of those components and, and, and try and get get the right mix so the players can are able to do what he wants them to do yeah it's good points because i think uh some people may get nearly we get drowned in stats i think a lot of the time what you mentioned earlier on that the, the crazy gps numbers that are thrown around and i think if people in a coaching setup are not confident in what they want to do and how they want to do it uh they could get they could be alarmed let's say by some crazy stats and it could send them down a, a dangerous path or, or not so much dangerous but a path that's not relevant to the, to the way they want to play um i just want to touch on you mentioned there that you're just a cog in a wheel so uh i think you're in a unique position that uh from working across various different sports how does the S&C coach fit in to the overall management team? Is it very much a collaborative process? Is it uh, you have your 10-minute slot here and see you later? And I don't mean just in GAA, but I'm, just, I'm curious, of is there different approaches in the different sports? Yeah, and, and and you know, it's a brilliant question. and um, It's something that people often wonder. And there is no script. The, the big thing people say, like, I'm very, very lucky that, you know, my career worked at obviously Pathen and then, you know, for three years and Stephen Kenny for almost six years and an incredible six years on the hog. And either side of that, uh, Wayne Cairns up in, in Lowe was a brilliant, brilliant coach. Um, and that was his first year into county level there. And before that, Pete McGrath, who's got a couple of all Ireland under his belt. And now obviously Davey Fitz probably um, up there recognised as one of the best ever. Like, and you're up there and I'm saying, I'm very, very lucky to work with him in, in each different role over the last 10, 11 years. They've all been completely different. You know, there is no, uh, this is how an s coach fits into the environment and there's your 10 minutes of training and, and then off you go again. Like it's, it's literally like a relationship and you go in on day one and you don't know whether you're going to be, like when I went in, I suppose, when I started working with Dundalk, with Stephen Kenny, I didn't realise that I would be, you know, sitting right next to him on the bench for, for five and a half or six years, you know, in these cup finals and traveling Champions League qualifiers and Europa League group stages and, and become the 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 head of nutrition and the head of strength and conditioning. Like and that was really my job where um you know I didn't really I didn't know going into that that, that was how the job would evolve. Um and similar things go when you start any journey as a strength and conditioning coach. Um now I, I like my job at Wexford is is nutrition and strength and conditioning and you know uh, you you could you could end up becoming uh, you could end up you could end up going in and pumping the balls up every night you don't know what you're going to be doing at training sessions you know and I'm very lucky as well like even this year last two years working with, with Mark Ingle in uh, DCU Mercy in basketball like I've been there and like Mark's just won basketball coach of the year and like 
to have the experience of these, I've just dropped five or six names. The point of dropping them is these are incredibly successful coaches in their in their sports with incredibly different tactics, actually. And how and then obviously their backroom teams, some of them are big, some of them are small. Um, there's no definitive role in terms of where you can put in. You just kind of slide in, and after a few weeks, you, you find out where you lie and what they want from you. And ultimately, then my job is just to kind of give the players, help the players out as much as they want, and try and give the manager what exactly what he wants. Um, and he'll he'll define how much he wants of you, um, or how big a role or how little a role he wants you to take. That that's kind of something that's not really written in any of those jobs. Yeah. Um, I th- I think it's uh, I think th- like everything you've talked about there, it sounds like it's very much a collaborative sort of process rather than, um, like I, my recollection or, or my impression would have been that an S and C coach, let's say fifteen twenty years ago, would have got his his or her slot of ten minutes at the start of training and maybe a weight session or a gym session or whatever it is, d- uh, on another night. Do you think that the S and C thing now has um, that more value was given to it, and it's grown in status over the years? If people are seeing more value in it over the last maybe twenty well, years yeah, or so, in I'd like to think so because, as you mentioned earlier, when ten years ago people were almost oblivious to the importance of youth athlete development, and I think now, as you said, things have evolved and the people have realised how important it is, and um, you know, I think definitely it's definitely evolving and becoming more important, and I think. With the strength and conditioning coach now, to be honest, I can remember, you know, being people saying, oh, I'll call you in to do a session with me once a week or I'll bring you in to do a session with me. Like when I started at Bohemians, I was never involved on game day. I wasn't involved in game day warm up. Um, and you, know, you wouldn't have seen me. I'd be up in the stand watching it. Where I think those days, I think, are gone. I think the SNC coach, organically, the SNC coach should be a fundamental part of the team because they're in a really really unique position where the snc coach doesn't pick the team you know the snc coach doesn't tell you the tactics and um, he's in a relationship where he can be a, a real mentor to the players a real um big brother for the players he can help with that kind of thing and make sure that they tick all the boxes physically and that they're ready to go and the players can also maybe confide in the in the in the SNC coach stuff that they might not be able to share with the manager or vice versa because I don't know the tactics. I'm not going to decide who's going to play and who's not going to play. So it's a really nice position to be in to see, see both the players' uh, view on things and obviously the, the managers and the coaches' views on things. So um, I think you have to, I think the days of having an SNC coach pop in, do 10 minutes, or oh, uh, yeah, he'll take you in the gym once a week. Like for me, I'd rather. I wouldn't never ever work with a team in that capacity. I wouldn't encourage people to do it, even though it might be your own, it might be an in, um, and it certainly wasn't in for me. But as best as you can, try and become an organic part of the backroom team, and and uh, you'll get a lot more value out of that, and both the players, the coaches, and yourself. Yeah, I really like the 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 bit that players may o- open up to you or confide in you a little bit. Um, I think that's that's like. If I put it this way, if I was a manager, I'd be looking for those sort of those informal ways of getting maybe some feedback and information. Do you find that um, your skills, uh, communication skills and, and maybe managing players in, in terms of those relationships has grown an awful lot over yeah, the years? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's probably um, 
with all, especially with all the, the new information coming at us with the wellness tests. Like I think we're we're at this real like you know, the one thing I suppose like went and did did the masters in U C D and graduated and, and everyone's like, geez, like you must think that's kicked you on to a new level and I said, Yeah, well it does, but I I, all, I often say to people like sometimes the more the more you learn, the less you know. You know what I mean? And I think I also believe that you can get crippled like when I you can get crippled with statistics and by judging a player on the jump height on his body fat test and uh, like on his fitness test scores, like I think there's an awful lot of data coming out there from wellness test scores, GPS scores, point trying to make is all this data is coming out managers now. And sometimes the most important thing the player needs is just a hello, just a face, just a voice. Um, you know, coming in the morning time, like especially being greeted by a GPS and sorry, sorry, being greeted by an iPad and say, how did you sleep last night? How, what's your muscle soreness today? How tough did you rate yesterday's session? And then coming in and having your GPS handed to you. Like sometimes you just can't replace a, a face and somebody saying, good morning, Stephen. How are you? How's the body? How did you sleep? How are you keeping? Is there anything on your mind? Sometimes I think that's where we need to, where the, we need to remember we're, we're coaching people. We're not coaching machines, you know? Yeah. Great point again, um, and I suppose from an S and C point of view, uh, a lot of the education would be very formal in terms of, and and I get that it, you you need to be qualified to teach people how to lift heavy shit, like so I, I get that the safety and all that, but do we think that the S and C side we may be too formal in terms of the education and we don't concentrate on those soft skills enough? Yeah, like obviously education is 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 vital. I suppose you know one of my biggest issues and biggest gripes at the moment is I, I hear about people you know going out and delivering snc sessions and they, they're not snc coaches and delivering and do, doing snc classes and and a little bit of knowledge is, is very dangerous like obviously that's a big concern of mine but i do think at the same time that you can become the other the other extreme and uh like from my experience in 2013 i started a master's in st mary's st mary's in in Twickenham and it was brilliant absolutely brilliant masters taught me the science of of everything but what I found at the end of it to be honest um, was just how, as good as it was I struggled because I found what's holding me back with athletes is not the ability to you know increase their vertical jump by two centimeters it's actually there's four five six of them or there's x amount of that I'm struggling to build rapport with and struggling to understand and struggling to get on side or to buy into the philosophy or the culture or whatever we were trying to do. So I found that was what was holding me back. And I remember you at the time probably singing the praise of the program run at UCD. And and um, I remember going into day one in UCD then on a different program and the first lecture, Dr. Seamus Kelly saying, guys, no coach gets sacked because of his drills. You know, you, know, you, you need to understand the players you're coaching, you need to understand culture and values. If you're going to get your message across, you all have to know where you're going. Um, and I just thought, well, this is what I'm here for. This is what I'm here for. You know, this is what's holding me back in my career. It was just, how can you, how can I understand what people value? How can I under, get them to buy into culture? How can I help coach the athlete, coach the person, understand the person, value what they value and, and understand them as a person, you know? Yeah, and I think that's a, a powerful message for anyone listening because like and I, I say this an awful lot when I when we when we talk to people on this show, um, but just realizing that uh that 
you're coaching a person and you're not just coaching a, a, a robot or even calling them just athletes or whatever it, it just just having that realization and knowing how to connect with them at a human level i think that makes all the difference in the world and it makes people want to to work that bit harder and, and feel that value in it you know um graham we asked three questions at the end of every every show and uh, so we're going to jump in with them there what does the term successful coach mean to you for me uh, i always think that if if i leave a role as if in my own role if i was coaching that you leave the players in a better place in terms of they understand a lot more whether it's on any form of strength condition or physical preparation so i like to leave them um certainly better educated i certainly like to um build a relationship with them make them better people and thirdly do your job do what the manager wants you to do achieve the help the team and the manager because you know you can be a great coach you can be a great guy you can be a great person you know you can build friends on the team but ultimately there's people's jobs going into winning so the most important thing is do the best job you can do anything it takes to, to make the team win and for the manager to be successful because you wouldn't be there without the manager or the players so it's all about them and, and whatever you can do to help them um, I'd say give you everything really good. I think do your best is a really good outlook in general for, for whatever we do um, best book resource that you would recommend to coaches um, obviously there's there's some really the same ones the same five, six, seven, eight tend to get bounded around all the time um, and mine is not a science one based on I suppose what we've chatted about here in terms of people and coaching coaching the people and, and understanding people my one is actually Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People um, it was a book that certainly helped me in my coaching career and my personal life. I think it's a really good book just to just to remember that we are coaching people. We're not coaching machines. And uh, so definitely my go-to would be Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Excellent. Uh, really good book, yeah. And um, we'll, we'll, we'll put up a link to that when we post the show. So don't worry for anyone uh, listening. Uh, last question. Um, so, Graham, what we usually ask is uh, here is your top tips for a developing coach. But I'm going to expand it a tiny little bit for you, if you don't mind. And I'm going to say to you, um, it'll be a little bit more specific here. If I am a coach here uh, and I have maybe a, a under 16, 17 sort of team in, in, in any sport, what and I'm uh, looking to improve their strength and conditioning side of things. Um, what would your top tips for that coach to be? So someone starting out on their S and C journey. If I was coaching an under sixteen or under seventeen team. Yeah, and, and, and specifically to that coach, and how, uh, that, that might be on their the beginning. I would say try stuff out. I would say you know vary stuff. Don't ever stick to the same things. If it means mixing up the warm up every night in different shapes. In different ways you can do warm up in di- introducing games to warm them up in introducing different speed and agility drills different strength drills different endurance drills i would say go give everything a go and um, don't get set in your ways don't try not to do the same session twice um and eventually you'll you'll just build up this library you'll, you'll have this library of tools and drills that you can go to at any different stage then as you as you get, go on to your career to a higher level and to a, maybe a more elite group or whatever brilliant i think that's great advice for anyone listening graham you've been fantastic to come on uh really really appreciate it some loads of great takeaways for people there um starting at the fundamentals um right back to when we started chatting today about uh, building on those fundamentals from an early age 
Uh, I love the concept of the how you adapt uh, to the needs of the team and that it's not, not about you, that the, the job revolves around the team and the management and, and you try and fit into that as best you can. And I really think that what will re- resonate with a lot of people is that just by talking to your athletes and treating them as people and, and you'd one phrase in, in it as in my job is just there to, to help players. And I think um, that's a really refreshing point of view from, let's say, uh, from an SNC side, whereas many people would have uh, the misconception that it's all about um, getting bigger, getting faster and stuff. So, Graham, thanks a million. Thank you for listening to the show. We hope you can take something from it that will help with your own coaching journey. As always, you can listen or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud. And you can find us on all social media channels. At Bubble Coaching on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Please get in touch because we would love to hear from you. The show was produced by Niall Williams and brought to you by the Coach Education Department of the Camogie Association. Thanks again for listening. Till next time, bye.